Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to our weekly episode of the Global Football Show. I'm your host, always Phil Brown. Join me with my regular co-host here, the accent, Zach Louie. So much to talk about today. We skipped last week, as I've mentioned in my native podcast. Um, unfortunately, had a personal issue to deal with. Um, delighted to be back. Of course, since we've last spoke, Zach, we've had a Champions League final. We had a Europa League final. Um, I want to talk about the Champions League final because one of the things that I can't get my head around is why English domination of Europe has never really happened, not internationally or or, or, or on a club level. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about a list that you tweeted out, which was incredible. If you haven't seen it, I strongly suggest you take a look at Zach's timeline or the Beyond the Pitch timeline of the top 10 transfers uh, financially uh, in terms of their cost and how many on that this would be a success. We'll go through that. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about possibly the Mbappe deal. Of course, we have Johnson Johnson on the podcast, the Brennan Johnson Johnson, uh, who interviewed Mbappe immediately after. He made that huge decision. We'll take a look a bit about what that means for PSG as they're about to sack Pochettino. So first of all, how are you doing, Zach? Doing very well. Excited to be on again. And yeah, just a quick mention to the other part of the podcast that we did with Jonathan Johnson. He mm-hmm. is by far the, the foremost uh, English language correspondent on Paris Saint-Germain. So, you know, I'm really excited for a summer of getting the best of the best like Jonathan on this podcast. Pick their brains. We've already had Stevie Nichol. Really looking forward to uh, what's going to be a fun June and a fun summer. Yes, we're going to have lots of different people on here, lots of different uh, journalists, lots of different football commentators on uh, to give you expertise uh, in particular topics that we cover. I want to talk about this Champions League final because Real Madrid won the Champions League final. Real Madrid, I mean, if you take a look at them throughout this tournament, they were absolutely incredible. They were dead and buried numerous times, came back, won, showed the heart of a champion. Uh, and here we are sitting on 14 European Cups. It's absolutely insane when you say that. 14. And you can write off there for five in a row if you want and say, okay, there was no competitive balance back then. You're still talking about 11. 14 European Cups is more than every, every English club can bet. Right? I'm thinking about Nottingham Forest with two. I think Villa have won. Liverpool with six. So it's nine, three with Manchester United. So two with Chelsea. Sorry, so we, we won less than all English clubs combined. So the 14 English clubs combined of 15. Why has the English domination of Europe never actually happened? Listen, I mean, I think there's the danger of, of falling into the trap and kind of comparing leagues when really Real Madrid is a unicorn in Spain and Europe. Uh, they just have this stranglehold on the competition. I mean, 14 is twice as much as the the runners-up Milan with seven, Seven. Bayern and Liverpool both have six, Barcelona have five, uh, Ajax have four. Okay, then we get to the nearest uh, English team, which is Manchester United third, right? So Liverpool uh, ahead with six, Inter Mm -hmm. with three, uh, Juventus, Benfica, Chelsea, Nottingham, Forest, and Porto all with two. So those are the teams that that I think we should be looking at, right? Liverpool with six, Barcelona with five, United with three, Chelsea. Okay, so I, I think that there you get more of a balanced picture. But uh, no, you are absolutely right in that the English teams have not been able to dominate uh, as much as, you know, the current picture 
of this league, you know, would, would state itself to. I think that you look at the, the top five leagues uh, and there is a general fear that the Premier League is becoming its own super league, right? In terms of its finances, in terms of, you know, being able to lure these top level players such as Bubakar Kamara. Um, so I think that you have that fear, but yeah, uh, to be unable to translate it into European results, as we've seen that with, you know, uh, Eintracht for beating Rangers in the Europa final, Roma winning the Europa Conference uh, League final over Feyenoord, um, and the only English team in a final, Liverpool, of course, losing to Real Madrid. It is disappointing, especially after a year where we saw an English final between uh, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City and Thomas Tuchel's uh, Chelsea. So absolutely, I think that they do need to get over that hump. And, and frankly, they do not come close to Spanish teams uh, looking at the past few years, right, with the all, with Atletico and Real in 2014 and 2016, uh, Barcelona, of course, winning the treble in 2015, um, and of course, Real Madrid's dominance. But once again, you know, Real Madrid, I think, are just so far ahead of any other team, any other league. It, for me, it's a bit dangerous to compare them. But even if you look at Ballon d'Or winners, right? Because this is genuinely staggering. So if you look at the last, since 2001, Right, Michael Owen was the last English player to win it in 2001. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo won it at Manchester United in 2008. Prior to that, the last English-based player to win the Ballon d'Or, if you want to call it that, was George Best in 68. Uh, Kevin Keegan, being an English player, won it when he was at Hamburg. Right, But when you're looking at this and you're going, despite all the money, despite all the glamour, despite having a massive advantage across the English-speaking world in, in America and all these huge markets, the Premier League still has a problem with attracting the galacticos of the... They, they attract the probably more competitive balance the Premier League, you get that say all the time, but they're still not attracting the world stars. They're still not in their peak. They're still not getting the best players that light up the world. There's, there's are still going to Spain. There's just, I mean, Mbappe, okay, no Mbappe's there, but talked about being in discussions with Liverpool and, and Real Madrid. Real Madrid were the only serious contender for him. Mm-hmm. English clubs still have a problem with bringing the best players in the world to England. And uh, if I may, I think that that could help us transition into our next topic, the most expensive transfers. So the most expensive Premier League transfer, Phil, I'm quizzing you now. What What is it? Most expensive Premier League transfer, Jack Grealish. Okay, followed by? You mean between, between, between two Premier League clubs? After, or after Grealish. After Grealish is? Paul Pogba. Romelu Lukaku, then Pogba. Yeah. And then you've got, um, so yeah, take let's take a look at this list. Um, right, as so Greenish, Pogba, and Lukaku. When are any three of those being close to winning a Ballon d'Or? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They, um, they have been. Greenish couldn't even get on in the Champions League final. Yeah. Or uh, uh, the um, league, they're, they're, sorry, their they're final game in the league when they needed to win in the, in the Premier League final, where basically they were 2-0 down and still didn't bring them on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I'm looking at this and going, you know, did the Premier League really just push the price of mediocrity up? Yeah, I, be- I believe that they did. I think in part due 
the reason that, you know, these other teams, whether they are lower down the food chain in other leagues or in the Premier League, right, like Aston Villa, they can charge a fortune for these English players. I think that knowing that these teams are willing to spend uh, the extra buck, I think, has allowed, you know, that to be exacerbated in many degrees. Yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm going, look, the, obviously the cost of English players is, is, yeah. is outrageous, right? And I'm looking at them going after some of the top players around the world. How many of them are desperate to go to England? Yep. You know, if you look, look, take a look at the players, I mean, if you take a look at Liverpool, uh, Mane and Salah. Now, when Mane and Salah were going to Liverpool, neither of them were considered superstars around the world. I mean, Salah was coming from Roma, um, decent player, but certainly there wasn't exactly clubs falling over themselves to break down the door to send them. And it seems like this is where the Premier League are quite good, is buying players below the radar, developing them, and turning them into superstars. I mean, Ronaldo, when he, when, you know, of course, when he was born at 17 for sport and Lisbon, was by no means a global superstar. Same with a lot of the players, Thierry Henry. To, you know, you go through uh, a lot of the best players that you've seen in the Premier League, Paul Scholes, Stephen Troy, these are Premier League born and raised players, essentially. But getting the best players in the world to come to England, why is that? It's a tricky one. I think that there is, in many ways, the fear of, I guess, English physicality. I think we've seen that with perhaps uh, Lionel Messi and Neymar avoiding the Premier League, perhaps uh, played a factor, the physicality. Um, and yeah, I think that in general, I think that the attraction of, of a city's location can also you know, play a big role. No disrespect to like the uh, Manchester or Liverpool, but when you have another city like Barcelona or Madrid, you know, perhaps it's uh, or Paris, shall we say, you know, it definitely plays a role. But yeah, looking at those players, Messi, uh, Mbappe, Neymar, it, as you mentioned, I think the biggest stars in the Premier League have not been these superstars, but instead uh, players who who join when they are on the cusp of uh, they are they are still far away from reaching their prime, but you know reaching that sweet spot like 23, 24, Sergio Aguero coming from Atletico, Eden Hazard coming from Lille, um, quite a few other examples, Yaya Torre uh, arriving from Barcelona. Those kinds of players, I think, is the is really the bracket that you're going for. Right. I, and, and look, I think when you looked at those players, those players have been excellent. I mean, Yaya Torre used to give me a first What a player. I mean, just a fantastic football player. You know, Aguero, of course, what a very, very good player. I think City deserve, I know City, of course, have got limited, unlimited amounts of money, but I still think they've done well to hold on to him. There's lots of top clubs have unlimited amounts of money. Uh, and, you know, I think when you look at those types of players that have been successful, and like we said, as a transition into our next subject is, when we look at the biggest signings in world football, where people absolutely bust the bank, how often do those signings really work out? If we look at the top players, right? I'll read off the list here. Neymar, 222 million euros. No way that was valued for money. Mbappe, so 175 million euros plus lots of add-ons. Um, if they'd have sold them for big money, then yes. Uh, Jao Felix, not yet. No, 126 million. Felipe Coutinho, we all know. Uh, Griezmann from Atletico Madrid to Barcelona, no way it was worth 120 million. 
right? Jack Grealish, 100, this is euros, of course, 170 million euros hasn't paid off yet. Romelu Lukaku emptied the Chelsea, definitely hasn't paid off yet. Dembele, we know, Borussia Dortmund to Barcelona, no question. Paul Paul, but has not worked out. Gareth Bale, it is a tricky one because if you judge him on the last year or two, you would say no. But Bale's contribution to Real Madrid in big games has been immense. And had Gareth Bale done that for any other football club, Gareth Bale would be a legend, in my opinion. You know, if you're scoring overhead kicks, you know, he's scoring, a, what do you win, five European Cups there? Um, and, and he scored in a couple of finals in, in, in decisive goals at that. Um, I wouldn't say he was a flop, but some people would. Ronaldo, of course, back in uh, Ronaldo from Real Madrid, the event is then the first initial Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo and Eden Hazard. So I think, how many of that list would you say have been value for money? Well, okay, so looking at this list, uh, I would go with... Phil, did, did you say that if Mbappe was sold for big money, he'd be considered a success? Or where are you with him? I would say if, if, if PSG recovered what they paid for him, then yeah. you would say value for money. Mm. Now you, you can 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 look at this in many different ways. You can look at how much he's contributed to PSD, but I'm going to judge him in the same way I'm judging Neymar. Neither yeah. of them have delivered what they were brought there to do, and you could argue the same with Manchester City Knight. Um, to me, the difference between Mbappe, if, if Manchester City can't don't win a European Cup under Erling Haaland and and. You know, these are massive signings. Mbappe and Neymar, are they better players? Yeah. Certainly with Neymar. Is Neymar's reputation better today than it was before he went to PSG? I'd say no. And if they were going to sell him, would they get the same money back from him? No. So I I quoted your tweet yesterday, and I said that I thought Mbappe was a success. Had someone uh, named Vinny Moleke uh, comment and said, how can Mbappe be an unequivocal success that Neymar, they were uh, brought in for the same job. Um, mm. Both were brought in for the top two record fees to win the Champions League, and they haven't. What has Mbappe mm. done to be an unequivocal success? Um, so, you know, first off, you know, whether you disagree or, or agree, um, you know, if you do it in you know, a civilized manner like this, you know, uh, I'm, I really am keen to have, you know, my listeners' questions on, so, yeah, guys, feel free to, you know, comment and yes. put in your questions for it. Um, but, yeah, with regards to Vinny Molecki's question, I, I think that for me, the difference between Mbappe and Neymar is that we look at this right now. Neymar, first of all, a little bit more expensive, um, and he has been unlucky with injuries, whereas I think Mbappe has been uh, able to stay away from those injuries, apart from, I think, the Loic Perrin, uh, injuring the Coupe de France, Coupe de la Ligue final. Um, I, I think he's been really healthy. And I always say availability is the biggest ability, right? That's, that is the most important part uh, being fit and being able to score mm -hmm. games because frankly, Mbappe has shown on a consistent basis uh, in really every single league on season since he's joined that he is uh, the best player in France and just continuing to rise his profile um, and of course, we get to the elephant in the room. Sure, I could be convinced on Mbappe. Yeah, Sorry, what, what's I up, could Phil? be I could be convinced on Mbappe. Yeah, and also finally, I mean, 
PSG have made an effort really with both Qatar and France to to help uh, to con- do everything they can to convince Mbappe to say, right? And from what it seems right now, while they have convinced Mbappe to, to stay, they want Neymar to leave. So I think there's part of your answer, but I do agree, you know, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I can see why someone would say, um, you know, Mbappe has not been able to win the Champions League, but, but when you look at his contribution at the domestic level, when you look at just how much he has done as well in Europe, um, despite that lack of the Champions League, for me, he, he has to be considered a success. I don't believe that Neymar has been, though. So let's look at Neymar for a second, because we'll talk about Luis Campos in a second. So they want Neymar to leave. What does it say if you're any other player smack bang in his prime with an opportunity to go to PSG? It says that, I mean, everything that's happened to Neymar was predicted that would happen before he went there. You don't go from Barcelona to PSG to answer certain questions that you'll never be asked in France. Uh, You just not, I mean, no, no disrespect to Ligue 1, but... You can't answer questions about your authenticity in France. You leave France to do that, right? And I, I think most players would would, would accept that. Um, so, yeah. so to me, I look at Neymar, and Neymar has now got question marks about him that weren't there three, four years ago. I mean, if you go, if you think about Neymar during that incredible comeback, Boston the PSG, his stock was super high. Uh, you know, he was considered as important to Barcelona as Messi. And yeah. now you're saying if PSG want him to leave, how many takers are there? Yeah. I, I really don't know how many they would be because of his salary. And and frankly, that's something that's just absolutely astronomical. That And frankly, I think Neymar would be comfortable because uh, I, I don't believe that they are, that if he does stay, I don't think that they would take drastic measures to, you know, suspend him from the team. I think that he would still be playing. So he has no reason whatsoever to leave. He has already gotten that comfortable contract. PSG going to have a tough time, I believe. I could potentially see uh, Paris, I could potentially see Chelsea making a move, but I, I think that Todd Bowley and the new ownership will go for a younger player. But look, Let's just take a quick look at the top 25, okay, and, and record uh, whether they've been successes or flops. Okay, 25, Nicolas Pepe to Arsenal, 79 million euros. Flop. Tricky one for <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Yeah. This is definitely a flop. Uh, yeah, and I believe that Arsenal are, really do need to uh, find a way to sell him. It will be tricky due to his salary, but yeah. I'm going to go with a flop here for Nicolas Pepe. We'll be interesting to see if he can redeem himself in Syria. I do think he could make an impact at a team like Milan or Napoli uh, who were interested in 2019. But yeah, moving forward, we've got a four-way t- tie for 21. Romelu Lukaku, Manchester United to Inter. I think we can all agree that was a success. Yeah, I would say yeah, definitely success, yes. Success, yeah. Okay, uh, Lucas Hernandez to Bayern. 80 million euros is a lot of money. He has done well, though. I, I think that I'm trending more towards success here. Um, although, once again, you're paying for potential with Lucas as well. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. So, success. All right. Kepa uh, Arizabalaga. Oof. I think yes. this is going to be an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, James Rodriguez, Monaco to Real Madrid. Curious. I think this is one that could go either way. What are you going with? Uh, 
I would say when you remember Hamas is because um, he came he came off the back of that when it was the World yeah. Cup and where he was magnificent and mm-hmm. his reputation was extremely high. And given how he left the football club and given what happened to him there, I would say a, a, a failure, a flop. Interesting. I I am really on the fence of this one. I'm going to go with a success. Okay, so we have our first split vote. Personally, I think that he played a big role in that first season where Real Madrid, you know, eventually falling off in the final weeks, but for so long they were the best team in football you know, and as well, the following seasons, I think providing that quality competition uh, from the bench really kept those uh, midfielders and attackers on their feet and allowed them to dominate both in the league and Europe. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a success, although I'll admit uh, it, it is a tough one. OK, mm-hmm. uh, 20, Luis Suarez to Liverpool. Absolutely no debate. Here. Oh, no success. doubt about that. Yeah. In fact, I would probably say the best. Definitely the best of this list so far. Let's see if he is. Okay, okay so 19. Oof, Virgil van Dijk. That is serious competition. Oh, success, yes. Absolute success. Uh, we're going to go with 18. Romelu Lukaku again. Uh, Everton to Manchester United. Uh, 84.8 million euros, Phil. How do you feel reading that price tag? <laughs> uh, you know what? Lukaku gets a lot of grief. Yeah. Uh, it was obvious when Solskjaer came in, United were going to change how they were going to play, and it wasn't to his strengths. His goal ratio at United was quite good, uh, to be fair. Um, his attitude inside that dressing room last six months was not good. Um, and I, I'm going to say a flop because United bought him for a, a long-term option. It never worked out because he didn't have the ability to adjust the way United wanted to play. And now we see that at Chelsea. So I'm going to say a failure. <clears throat> I agree. I'm going to go with the failure as well. But let me ask you this. Stop me if I'm sound crazy, but I think that Romelu Lukaku could be a very shrewd option for Bayern. Uh, Robert Lewandowski obviously doing everything he can to leave with one year left on his contract. Could you potentially see that working? We've seen uh, some high-profile loans you know, at Bayern with Coutinho and Perisic, but potentially a permanent deal as well. Do you think that could be an interesting option for him? You know, I honestly thought when Lukaku came back to Chelsea, it was a really good signing, and I thought he would do well there. So I'm sort of surprised at what he did six months through the season where he came in and said he really missed Inter. I didn't really understand how that benefited him. Uh, he's someone I've spent time with personally, and I can tell you that he was desperate to go back to Chelsea and not go to Manchester United. So, again, I found it extremely perplexing that he f- feels this way. So, the problem with Lukaku now is he's starting to get a reputation for being a bit, I don't want to say disruptive, but certainly um, d- being a bit unsettled where he's constantly looking to get away. And so, he's had too many club changes, hasn't set his feet down. Inter Milan fans are not happy about him bailing. Uh, Chelsea fans are not happy with him now. The question with Lukaku is, it's cost a lot of money. You know, is he going to do the same to you at Bayern and turn around and say six months later he wants to go to Inter? There's possible talk of going back to Inter, taking a big pay cut. So I think he's a risk. But in terms of his ability, you know, if you get you get Lukaku in the right team, Lukaku is a 25 goal a season striker. Yeah, absolutely. 17, Phil, Jaden Sancho, 85 million. Just edging, just edging sure. Lukaku, 200,000. Uh, euros where are you going with this one as of right now you would have to say a failure 
absolutely. I agree. And let me caution this by saying you are paying for potential. Yes. Uh, this is one reason where no United player, apart from, I think, perhaps Cristiano Ronaldo, has stood out. Um, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how Sancho does under Ten Hag. But as of right now, it is undeniable that he has been a flop. Uh, and one of the most disappointing si signings of 2021. Mm -hmm. 16, Neymar, Santos to Barcelona. I'm going with a success. Success for sure, yes. Uh, Although, yeah. the way what happened to Sandro Roussel afterwards. Right. Um, but uh, that wasn't anything to do with how you would rate Neymar's contribution on the pitch. But uh, on the pitch, yes, for sure, success. I, I think I'm not sure if this if this uh, fee of 86.2 million if that includes the legal costs because I think when you tear it I think it might very well reach uh, triple figures if you carried out but uh, 15 oof interesting one Harry Maguire uh, 87.1 million euros Phil where are you going with this one Well he, he, we, we talked about Van Dyke earlier for the same price that's a success Harry Maguire's a failure no question. Yeah, I'm going to correct you. It wasn't for the same price. It was for uh, 3.3 million more. Yeah, uh, yeah, there are there, but Van Dyke was 79 million, wasn't he? Uh, he was, according to goal.com, uh, 84.5 million. Okay, 14. Interesting one as well. Um, Gonzalo Higuain, Napoli to Juventus. Um, I'll be honest, this, this reminds me of a very cheaper signing, but uh, I think equally effective in Robin Van Persie to your beloved uh, mm -hmm. Red Devils. But curious, where, where, where are you on this one? Hmm. How, how much did he go for again? 90 million euros. I'm up to say a failure for 90 million euros. He was good, he, he, he was good at Juventus. Was he worth 90 million? No. I think he had that great debut season where he finished as the top scorer, if I'm not mistaken. Had a few other before, I think, leaving uh, to Chelsea and Milan on loan. Yeah, I'm going to go with the failure. He he did have his moments. I'll give Higuain that. But if if Juventus buy a younger option for you know less money, do they still win the Scudetto, the next few Scudetti? I think so. So, yeah, I'm going to have to go with a uh, flop here as well. Uh, okay, um, 13, Cristiano Ronaldo, Manchester United, to Real Madrid, uh, and I will correct myself from before with Luis Suarez, this is, without a doubt, the number one signing. Yes, De La Vicente. Absolutely. Okay, um, past Cristiano, now we have Cristiano once again, tied with Eden Hazard. Um, so Eden Hazard. Chelsea to Real Madrid, Cristiano Ronaldo, Real Madrid to Juventus. Just one year apart. Where are you going with these two, Phil? Success for Ronaldo at Juventus, failure for 100% um, for Eden Hazard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with two failures here. Uh, number 10, Gareth Bale. Tottenham to Real Madrid, 100% a success for me. Yeah, see, I, that's what I'm saying. If you judge him on the last year or two, you would say failure. But given his contributions, there's no way you could say that's been a, a, a failure. I would say a success. 
Look, I think it was an absolutely boneheaded decision and, and really emotional decision from Florentino Perez to give him that bumper contract back in what, 2016, when it was clear he was having some injury problems. With that being said, uh, Gareth Bale joined a club that had been, you know, 11 years without a Champions League. He left with just, Mm -hmm. what, seven years later with five more. So he has played an invaluable role. And, you know, you you pay that uh, fee, that world record fee at the time, every day of the week, 24-7, And, yeah, I'm going with – okay, so eight – Eight, we've got a uh, a tie between two Frenchmen, Usmane Dembele and Paul Pogba. I'm going with a double um, failure once yeah, again. Yeah, double failure. Some of the, I mean, Dembele's been an explicit failure. Pogba's been a failure. There's no question. Absolutely. Romelu Lukaku entered to Chelsea. Uh, I'm going to actually say this has been the most disappointing signing of summer 2021. Yeah, I, w- I would probably go along with that. Absolutely. Uh, and he does have competition for that title with Jack Brealish, who is yes. 2 million more with 117 million euros. Definitely a failure so far. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's hard to write off signings for Manchester City after one season. Yes. We've seen like the Rodri, uh, Gundogan, you know, all these players have this uh, enormous growth afterwards so i i think that he can catch fire next season but as of now just like Jaden sancho it has been a 100 a, a failure antoine griezmann atletico to barcelona a absolute failure and he yep. is tied with another failure at uh philippe coutinho number three joao felix benfica to atletico failure i mean he has he still struggles yeah. to get in in Simeone's team yeah yeah, I'm going to go with a failure. I Really, for me, I've said it before, I think it's like it, it, it's really the not an ideal fit when you look at Diego Simeone and the player that Joao Felix is. He has done well, I will give him that, over the past season. But, yeah, it's got to be a failure for $126 million. Number two, Kylian Mbappe, and number one, Neymar. Going to, I'm going to go with a success for Mbappe, uh, and failure for Neymar. I know you've got what a double double failure. Well, I, I, like I said, Mbappe, I could be convinced on because okay. I mean, I, I I've seen some fantastic performances from him, where I've also seen some indifferent performances from him. I mean, I watched him intently against United in those four games United played, and I think he played well in one of them, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like. I still think there's a lot of development left in this kid, obviously. Um, and that is not a guarantee. Because as you quite rightly say, in some of these, you're banned potential. Potential is not a guarantee of fulfillment, as we have just seen with a lot of these transfers. You know, Nen asked the bigger question, why do so many of them not work? Why? Do, I mean, is it, is it really the case of, is a footballer really worth that much money? You know, I mean, should, should should be really who's applying these valuations, and is yep. a player really worth, you know, two hundred and twenty-two million? Is it fair to say to yep. a player, you have to live up to an expectation of two hundred and twenty-two million? This is absurd, right? Yep. I mean, and how do you do that anyway? I mean, not that if you, we we look at Ronaldo and Messi, Ronaldo and Messi have totally skewed what it means to be world class now. 
And yeah. these are people, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo to me is a freak of nature mentally. And he's a Tom Brady. You see one of these in sports. You don't, you very rarely see two. And it, it, they're just these people that exist. Michael Jordan had this, that had this unbelievable drive and focus to be the best. They're obsessed with it. And, and I think um, not everyone can be that. And yeah. I think that we have turned a lot of players into circus clowns now, where we were rating them on stats. How, how many assists have you got? How many goals have you got? And, it's, and I think this is really pernicious in the sense that what this does to young kids is young kids feel like they only contribute in the game if they score or if they do some piece of amazing piece of skill. There's so many other areas in the game that goes in. I mean, I hate to use this example, but look at Liverpool. I mean, would Liverpool be winning league titles without Jordan Henderson, without players in the middle that aren't, that, you know, that aren't fancy? that are going to do all the ugly work without Andy Robertson, you know, there, there's no way. And so to me, I think uh, one of the sad elements, and, and you often see this today where people are comparing players from past and present, going, oh, this guy has, with just 10 games, has scored more goals than this legend did in the season. But it's a totally different metric. It's totally unfair to me. And I think maybe we need to look at how we judge who's a success and failure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I know how much you do for mental health, Phil. And I, I think that we aren't inclined as humans to think about the, you know, mental health of someone like Romelu Lukaku or yeah. Paul Pogba, right? And and these, you know, uh, spoiled uh, millionaire stars. But the fact is they are humans as well. And they do suffer from the weight of expectations, and yeah, that's why, frankly, I think that Pogba, he just needs to get out of England, get, you know, away from the media and that spotlight. Um, I think that can be damaging for a lot of these players. And, and to answer your question, Phil, I think that spotlight is perhaps another reason why we've seen more superstars uh, steer clear of the Premier League. Well, I think this spotlight is their greatest gift and their greatest enemy. Because they use it to monetize their image to death. The problem is, if you go back to players of previous generations, if they had a bad game, they could go home and they could switch off. Now you've got social media. Now these guys never get a break. Right? If you looked at Harry Maguire, 90, 95% of the criticism was leveled at him that got, uh, to me, out of control came from social media. Now, Harry Maguire in the past, or any other player for that matter, would have been able to switch off and not be confronted because it's not the people in the street. People in the street don't do that. It's the anonymous accounts. It's the people online. It's the people that don't won't think that Harry Maguire will ever see it or read it, but his family does. And he knows it's happening. And so one, one of the, the, the sad things about this is the pendulum swings heavy both ways when you're a superstar. Because when things are going good, it's better than you can ever imagine. But when things aren't going good, the crescendo of abuse and criticism is absolutely off the charts. And I can't imagine how it feels because one of the sad metrics of life that we use is whether a human beings entitled to empathy based on their paycheck. How much do you make? Oh, then you're not entitled to empathy, but you don't, you don't stop being human no matter how much money you make. You know? And so I think it's important we realize this, that um, to me, when I look at social media and the role it has to play, 
in players' mental health. You know, we want players to be more available, but go look beneath the players' Twitter feed when they have had a bad game. The abuse, the racial abuse is just a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. And so I think um, if I was them, I would have a company run on my Twitter account for this reason. Tweet one thing wrong. Be a human and re- react. I mean, we see what happens to players when they hold the finger up or they respond. They get slaughtered. Yeah, but they're humans. Imagine having someone in your face all day telling you, abusing you in front of your family, telling you all sorts of things. I, I defy anyone to hold their nerve 24-7 that because before they're a professional, they're a human being. Yeah, 100%. And I mean... I think it would be interesting to compare, right, the most expensive transfers today and the most expensive transfers of 1998 or uh, from, you know, 1970 mm. going down the years and look at the percentage of successes. Obviously, we don't have historians here, but um, I, I, would, I would suspect that there would be far more failures um, in the past, you know, 10 years or so. As we mentioned, right, how many players of those lists were really successes? But, you know, as you mentioned, Phil, it should give us pause to think how we think about these players, how we, you know, analyze them and the weight that I think that those price tags uh, put on those players. I think there's also something else to speak here, Zach, um, that social media has done to all of us. And call it prison of the moment, whatever you want. Most people's opinions are defined on the last 90 minutes they just watched. And I've seen this happen. I mean, we have people questioning Messi today and then they'll redefine their entire career based on what they just watched because now every time you praise them in the past, you you were wrong because they're clearly not good enough. Clearly, they, they, I mean, I see this happening with Bruno Fernandes. I see this happening with players. And people no longer have the ability to determine the difference between a bad game and a bad player, right? Between a poor run of form and a bad player. There's massive difference. And human beings will have ebb and flow. They'll have bad games. Kevin De Bruyne has bad games. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it happens. Right? There's human beings. It's natural with the variables that, that, that that's going to happen. And so I think we have this such reductive view of, you know, everything is determined by what we just saw. You have to have more depth in your opinion. I understand when you are emotional, you have access to social media, you tweet things that you later upon reflect on and think, well, I, I could have been a bit more measured there, right? And that's, of course, one of the other aspects of social media outrage will, will get much more interaction than anything else. And so I think uh, this is also affecting how we evaluate whether a player's been successful or not. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we will, uh, I, I definitely think, you know, social media, I, I, I really believe that at some point in the future, we're going to look back and find unfettered access to the internet without some level of moderation, mm-hmm. like given unfettered access to cigarettes in the 50s and, and not realizing, like, you know, we often talk about what would happen if we met an alien civilization. We can't even bring together human civilizations who have very different cultures and very different societal norms, and very different everything that it resulted in a massive online fight. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, 
we have so much work to do in this area. And I honestly feel at some point we'll look back and go, I can't imagine how insane that was that we never had some level of, I mean, I think Google and, and all the other AI companies have a massive challenge on their hands in trying to have ethical moderation. And it's, it's and, and how do you not infringe on free speech and everything else? It's very, very difficult to do. Um, especially when you're also competing with different norms across different cultures and you're trying to bring them all together, thread the needle of finding something that's amenable to everybody. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely something that is, is a big challenge. But, um, and then, of course, when we look at that, Zach, why, why should we be surprised? I mean, if you take a look at sports media in general, it's changed so much over the last 20 years. And journalists need to understand they're not in the entertainment business. They're in the business of informing. I had a tweet yesterday about Ian Ladyman, who was apparently found it odd that Manchester United, who are in the entertainment business, uh, stretched out their farewells to their players over a couple of days as if it was somehow pernicious that they were looking for social media interaction for farewell. And again, this is the problem. You're a journalist. Your job is to inform. It's not the entertain. Okay, so you're not in the entertainment business, but yet you behave like you are because your articles are constant clickbait nonsense. Okay, and unfortunately, part of the problem is how they're remunerated is based on their clicks. And this is unfortunately now why the media has no trust, because the media uh, morphed into a, a vehicle that informs the public into a vehicle that entertains the public. And so. What is it now? It's filled with YouTubers. It's filled with pretty faces. It's filled with people. You know, none of this. I mean, we have Steve Nice here talking about football on the Champions League. Why? Because it's gimmicky, right? None of it has got any relation to legitimate journalism and analysis. It has to do with gimmicky entertainment. And I mean, I'm watching Celtics last night. Uh, I'm, basically, it's a watch party. Right with NBA analysts, I don't want that. But that's how things are changing. So of course, how players are evaluated. Of course, the lens with which the sport is seen is changing with the younger generation of how these kids. I mean, I look at my fifteen-year-old; how he consumes content. It's totally different to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that as journalists, we have to, you know, meet the the needs of a changing society, and and also. I think uh, stave off those short-term expectations and of of you know getting the getting the most clicks and right getting the most retweets, but also think of how we are viewed in the long term. That is the most important thing, right? Just being yourself and and not allowing. I think that it, toxic side of social media because at a certain point, right? If you go uh, overload on it, I think that it becomes toxic to your personality personality you do need to learn how to separate it and that's something that we are all as humans you know still getting used to oh absolutely there's no question about that um and uh, I, I completely agree with you but you know my point of course was the way the scale is used today and how they scale good bad or indifferent is completely changing i mean i'll give you an example with darwin nunez you can make a youtube videos of darwin nunez three minutes either side of making him look like the worst footballer on the planet with no first touch or the best striker you've seen in 20, 30 years. Just depends how you want to do it. Right. And so people are making decisions about whether a player 
is of world-class quality that they haven't seen based on YouTube videos that are heavily edited to give you a particular point of view. But I could do that with almost any footballer. I can take three minutes of their worst moments, put them into a compilation, and, and, and show you why Cristiano Ronaldo has a poor first touch if you want me to. Right? There's enough moments in the game where that's happened over, over the course of a couple of years. You know what's funny, Phil? The, one of the most uh, clipped moments of Darwin Nunez is from Benfica's 3-0 win against Barcelona, where he did a step over and uh, faked out <laughs> the defender. I believe it was Eric Garcia. And um, they were somewhat high, right? The stepovers were kind of high over the ball. And so mm-hmm. it got a reaction, right, from people. But the fact is, nobody would have even got this clip if Darwin hadn't scored, okay? Right. So they're not talking about the goal. They're talking about the fact that, oh, for some reason, you know, he wasn't as technical, which is absolutely absurd. And I think it really heightens this <laughs> this worsened approach in analyzing and viewing players. And I think that Darwin has been a victim of that because frankly, uh, these people do not watch Benfica games. They watch five second clips and they think that's yeah. that, that gives them the ability to formulate an opinion. But you know, there's, there's Twitter for you. People who abs- absolutely know nothing and just want to follow a simple agenda. They, they're going to do it for clicks. Yeah. I think journalists also feed into this nonsense, right? I mean, I give, I give you an example. We're sitting here. I've, I heard people talk about Ronaldo, Kenny Press. Listen, I can run through a thousand top strikers that couldn't press. So, what metrics are we using to rate these guys? Because again, these are completely changing. Because I can guarantee you, and it wasn't the question whether Luis Suarez at Liverpool could press. Wasn't the uh, question whether Rui van Nistelrooy could press? Wasn't a question about whether Shevchenko or Crespo or any of the best players, stri- strikers in the world could press? We didn't rate them that way, mm-hmm. right? And it seems like people are constantly looking for a flaw to say someone isn't good enough, someone isn't this, someone isn't that. That's the problem. It's not the nine hundred and nine hundred ninety-nine attributes or nine thousand and nine hundred ninety-nine attributes. It's the one flaw that I'm going to defend you by. And again, this is a consequence to me of social media, of the outrage, the fact that if I could turn around and say Christian Aldo's great, no one's going to comment. But if I turn around and say he's not great, it's going to get interaction, right? Because that's just the nature of the media. And that's the, of course, the news media have known this forever, right? And so, um, so has the advertising industry and everyone else. But um, uh, I think we're, we're about done here, mate. Um, don't forget, folks, as we were saying, if Jonathan Johnson clip will either put it in the show or I'll, I'll add it as a prep a segment. All depends on my editing capabilities and skills. Uh, Zach, anything before we go, mate? No, just once again, an absolute pleasure uh, to do this show. Really looking forward to a summer that I think will allow us to launch it ahead of the season. Um, so, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to, t- to discuss. I think that... Uh, the, the lack of football matches is, I think, an interesting challenge that I'm really looking forward uh, to taking on with you. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just touch other topics that uh, aren't game-related, that have a bit more of a shelf life. Folks, get in touch with us, tweet myself, Zach, or at Beyond the Pitch, uh, and let us know if there's any topics you want us to cover, any guests or anything you want us to have on. We're going to have Graham Hunter on the show here. We are supposed to do him last week, unfortunately, as I was saying. Uh, and then an issue came up that I couldn't uh, get out of. 
but we will reschedule that. Um, and also, if you've got any comments on the show, reach out to us and let us know. We will add a Q&A segment into this show at some point in the near future. So uh, please get in touch with us. Zach, thanks very much for doing this, as always. Uh, take it easy, my friend. Absolutely. Take care, mate. See you in a bit.